Welcome back to the Blue Corner Weekly Rundown, episode number three. And it's been quite a quiet week this week with the international break. As always, me and Ellis are going to unpack all the events of the last week or so. And what better way to start than with outgoings? And the most notable of outgoings, probably this summer for us, alongside Alex Awobi, is Damari Gray leaving for Al Etifak for a fee of around £10 million. And just to start off, what are your initial thoughts, Ellis? Are you happy with the fee, first of all? I think that's probably the best place to start. Um, what are we saying? We're looking at about eight to ten million. I'm not massively overjoyed with it, but if you look at the price we paid for the lad, he costs one and a half million pounds. So we've made a real healthy profit on him there. I I reckon in another situation we probably could have got twelve, but I'm probably quite happy with the fee. It just could have been a little bit more. But then the fact that we even got to sell him after the window closed was a benefit in itself because luckily the Saudi window is still open. That situation needed to be dealt with overall didn't it It was just best for both parties yeah i think putting the fee aside i think the fee is a good one for what we initially paid from what was it the you know 1.6 million from Bayer leverkusen i think it was in in 2021 i think to get 10 times as much as we paid for him i think is a, is a very very big positive and it, it helps our financial fair play situation which we've got going on in terms of the situation i'm a little bit disappointed how it's ended with damari gray i think he he was a player that there was definitely something he could offer to the squad you know we saw it towards the back end of last season he, he would always be able to to pull something special he was a direct runner and he, he always had a screamer in him didn't he you know you look at the Arsenal game under Rafa Benitez you look at Manchester City away he was one of those players that could always pull out something special so yeah I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed to see him go but at the end of the day if, if he's not happy and he's he's not willing to put 110% into the club there's there's no point of having him around you, you then got a, a 10 million pound asset sat on the bench or, or sat in the reserves refusing to play so I think probably best for both parties that we separated and and to, to get as much as we did especially with him coming towards the end of his contract as well I think was was probably a, a positive yeah it was a situation that needed resolving regardless of course Damari Gray came out on social media and said his piece and then Sean Dyche responded on his interview and it was one of those where we don't know exactly what happened we can't really go into what happened because we don't know and I think from the start I wouldn't have thought Damari Gray was going to be a Sean Dyche player anyway yes he has his abilities like you say can provide some unbelievable moments for us but I don't think he quite fit into the system and I don't think he's that industrious, hard-working winger that Sean Dyche really, really believes in, the likes of Dwight McNeil, potentially Jack Harrison. We haven't seen him yet. But for Damari Gray, I hope he does well out there. You know, he's he's given us more than enough for that one and a half, 1.6 million price tag, hasn't he? Some of the moments we'll never forget. And of course, they didn't quite happen as often as we would have liked. Sometimes his performances weren't always there, but he's done a lot of things that I'll thank him for. So his big goal against Manchester City, his big goal against Arsenal, his performances at the start of the season under Rafael Benitez against Leeds, Brighton, from what I remember, they were massive. And also just the fact that he filled in at striker for a lot of last season, mm. I think was really good of him too, because you know that's completely out of position. And he did that without a force and worked really hard. So I've got no bad feeling towards him leaving the club have you no I've definitely got no bad feeling towards him because you know at the end of the day he's, he's still relatively young in his career you know he's, he's probably getting to that prime of his career now he wants to be playing week in week out and as you said there I couldn't I probably couldn't have put it better myself he, he probably had his card marked by Sean Dyche very very early on in his tenure especially towards the end of February where you know he, he didn't really get in a look in as you said there he's not that industrious winger he's, he's almost a luxury player isn't he that you know, you, you bring on in games and he, he will run direct and he, he will be that skillful player that can create your chances. But 
you know, for 90 minutes in a Sean Dice team, you, you want a winger that's going to work hard, like a Dwight McNeil, like a Dan Juma. You know, the, these players aren't very similar to Damari Gray. So in terms of that, I, I have no bad feeling towards Damari Gray for wanting to leave, you know, finding a new challenge and, and wanting to play football because at the end of the day, he's, he's still very young. Yeah, he is. And he's not actually the only player linked with an exit this week. Andre Gomez, too, is a player who it seems like Everton have been looking to shift for quite a while on huge wages, apparently, which is obviously not something that the club would want. And with the Turkish market still open, there's still a chance that he may go out the door. Whether he will or not is another story. Do you think he will? I mean, we put it on the game of two hours Twitter yesterday, whether we thought that, you know, would Andre Gomez and Deli Ali be given some game time in the next few weeks, especially because they were included in the, the squad number list. Um, for me, I think Andre Gomez has probably reached the end of his time at Everton. I think the the only problem that's stopping him from leaving and the only reason he didn't go to Lille at the, the back end of the transfer window is, is the wages, as you say. So I think there's probably a player there that could maybe offer you an option late on in games, but at the same time, we're, we're probably not a team that's going to be, you know, comfortably ahead in games late on anymore. You know, it, it's probably going to be tight most games that we play. So I don't see where Andre Gomez comes on and, and gives you an option. So for me, the best thing to do is just to, to sell him before the Turkish window shuts and just try and recuperate as much money as you can from what you spent all those years ago. Yeah, he's a player who would be ideal when you're 2-0 up and cruising in a game and he can really just keep hold of possession for you. But even when you're 1-0 up, he's probably not exactly what you want because if he if taking off a defensive midfielder for him, you've not got that solidity anymore. So I wouldn't really see him as a player we could even bring on when we were 1-0 up. And how many times this season are we really going to be 2-0 up or 3-0 up? Yeah, it's one. It's one of them. But it's probably best just to cash in now, isn't it? And and just as I said before, just take your losses and and move on and and try and just you know in the next window try and spend those funds elsewhere on a on a different player. Yeah, I think that's that's the best approach now. And he's another player who he seems a great guy, and I wish him all the best. But since the move was made permanent, it just never quite worked out. He was unbelievable on loan for us, and I think that's where the fans fell in love with him, wasn't it? That loan spell, but. With injuries, that horrific injury, I still remember that now. I imagine that massively hampered his career. I mean, they always say don't fall in love with a lone player, don't they? And he's the classic they were right example. In this case. <laughs> <laughs> he's the classic example. You look at Gerard Delafeo, Andre Gomez, even Kurt Zuma that season as well. I think he's he's another classic example of that. And yeah, it just never really materialised into a, a top top move, did it? I think he was always one of those players that was loved by the fans, as you, as you say, for that one season on loan. But yeah, just as you said there, the, the horrific injury got against Spurs and it, it did derail his career, didn't it? And I think he's never really looked the same player since that. And even before the injury, he was showing signs of, of slowing up a little bit. So to, to get a horrific injury like that, we've seen it so many times, haven't we? Look at Brian Oviedo, Seamus Coleman's had those type of injuries. I think those type of injuries do take a yard, two yards, even three yards of your pace off you. And I think in an already slowing player, I think that that it marked the end of of a top player and, and it rendered him a a, a mid table kind of player, the one that was never really going to be a, a top top quality midfielder. It's a shame, isn't it, what injuries can do? And one of the worst times to actually get an injury is during an international break. It's a time where Evertonians always worry because players jet off to their countries, they're playing for somebody else and. We don't know how they're being used for that country, whether they're getting played too much, whether they're getting overused and not quite the same fitness strategy or whatever. There's always a worry because if your player's gone for two weeks and then they get injured playing for the country, you then 
have to suffer the consequences when they return. And we're currently on an international break, so no football this week, which was a shame. We've got some more coming on Sunday, but it's been a quiet week. It's one of those years. I just am desperate for club football to come back during an international break. I, I'm just desperate to see Everton again, even though we're not doing that well at the moment. Yeah, I think there's been some, some decent performances on the, on the international break with, with the respective countries. I'll touch on this more. Check out our Twitter for a thread coming up in the next couple of days about the international break, a, a big roundup of it. But there's been some decent performances there. You know, you look at Vitaly Mikolenko, he's had a decent performance with Ukraine against England. Uh, Jordan Pickford was relatively untested in that game as well. Nathan Patterson got some minutes. Idrissa Gay got some minutes. So there's there's definitely players there that are, are looking to build on fitness as well. I think that's a, another positive to it. But as you said there, it is so worrying, isn't it, seeing these players go out on international duty and, you know, the, the slight chance of them coming back with an injury, it could just derail your season. We've seen it so many times with Everton players that they come back, they're not fully fit. They've they've got knocks here and there. You know, you look at Richarlison, he had a few on international duty and he just fought through the pain. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a worry. But as you said there, I'm... I'm so looking forward to club football being back you know it's it's like the summer break all over again isn't it you know you get through august and then you've got this massive international break at the start of september to break it up and you just want it back already yeah i think even ronald Koeman got that feeling of uh that everton fans hate international breaks i remember during his time he used to hate sending james mccarthy to ireland because he was always just coming back to fitness and then when he went to Ireland, he seemed to come back and get injured. And he was actually talking to an Irish journalist in his press conference this week, just saying about the fact that, oh, that that Irish player, I always didn't want to send him. So I think he fell out with Martin O'Neill over that. But um, it's funny that he actually remembered that situation. But um, that's the thing, isn't it? You just don't want, you want your players to come back unscathed, no problems at all, and be all right. And we did hear some unfortunate news about Jared Bramfway at the start of the break, which seems to have transpired in summit not, quite as bad as we thought it'd be he had to withdraw from the England under 21 squad and it seems like he's going to be all right now and Yusuf Jamiti actually had to withdraw from the under 20 Portugal squad so two little knocks there but from the general chat around the club it seems like he's going to be all right doesn't it both of them yeah I think that they're nothing to worry about I did a little bit of research into those and you know some comments there that, that say that they're nothing to worry about I think they'll both be in this in the starting squad for for Sunday's game against Arsenal so yeah there's there's no worries there I don't think no and then Amadou Onana he did play a game against Azerbaijan I think it was quite a small stadium it seemed like it was not quite the attendance he's used to at Goodison with 40,000 vociferous fans screaming down his ears but he seemed to enjoy it. He was playing in a deeper number six role, and it's a role that I've clamoured for him to play in quite a lot. I think that's his best position for me, sitting in front of the defence and maybe driving when necessary, but also just using those long legs to make huge tackles. And, of course, it was against Azerbaijan, which isn't a massively high-quality opposition, but just gives us a few ideas about where he could perhaps end up playing because, of course, he's a young player, and we don't know where he'll end up position-wise, but... It just gave me a few ideas. Where do you think his best position is for Everton? We know Amadou Onana is a is a raw talent. He's a young talent. And I think, as you said there, it, it's definitely food, food for thought to, to play him as that number six in front of the back four. I'd agree with you. I think that is his best position. I think the number six there is is one that we've lacked for so long, isn't it? You know, we had Alan who came in under under Carlo Ancelotti and he did do a job there. He was he was quite effective in that role. But I think Onana is is a different kind of player, and I think he definitely does suit that number six role. So for me, that is definitely the best position that I would play him in. I, I don't know what you, your thoughts are on that, but for me, that's that's definitely his best position. That's where I'd have him too. I think we've not had a true 
sitting number six that really doesn't end up hunting and going forward like Idrissa Gay and like Alan did since Gareth Barry, I'd say. I think Gareth Barry was the perfect, the absolute archetype of a defensive midfielder that you want in this Everton team. And I'd do anything to have him back right now. And I'd love Amadou to turn into that kind of player because in reality, compare Amadou Anana to Gareth Barry, attributes-wise, he's got all the physical attributes and hopefully he can develop a brain half as good as Gareth Barry's because Gareth Barry knew exactly what to do at all times. And for me, I would be going forward looking at having the four sitting in the defence and then one person just in front to screen them because I think that's important and it protects this defence from a lot of chances which you really don't want them to have to, to face. And then I'd probably go with, with James Garner and Idrissa Gay ahead where Idrissa Gay actually finally gets to then hunt, which I think that's his best position going forward and in that kind of six slash eight role where he can hunt a bit more because... Adrissa Gay likes to go and find the ball and win it back, doesn't he, rather than to sit in one place and not move. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The one problem for me is the the way Sean Dyche sets his team up and the way we do play, actually, as a, as a collective. I think we've seen it in the last few games that we just seem to bypass the midfield. From Pickford, he may play it out to the centre-half and then they'll just lump it up towards Beto or Calvert-Lewin or Schmitty or Mope, as it was against Fulham. For me doesn't play to the strengths of Onana as much as it should do and doesn't play to the strengths of the midfield as much as it should do because in a situation like that you're just bypassing one of your key influential players and, and one of your players that can give you the most creativity in, in the middle of the park I think if you bypass that what's the point of having him you might as well just have a, a regular centre midfielder that's that's going to just do a job and 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 as you say be like an address again and just make tackles whereas Onana is a, a much more influential player than that so yeah, I think if Sean Dyche is going to play him as a number six, he needs to start changing his tactics and make sure that he actually is integrating him into that system rather than just bypassing him with, with long balls up towards the striker. That's a really, really important point on Amadou Anana, actually, because if the ball is bypassing him, and of course, playing a long ball is fine at different times in the game. You know, we've seen that we've created quite a lot of chances from it, but it would be really great if we could have Onana just in front of the defence and use him if... if the likes of Jared Bramfoy are comfortable on the ball, can play it into him. I imagine Onana being the first player to pick the ball up off the defence could be so useful for developing our attacks because we know he's a good passer, we know he's powerful, he's strong, he can drive through into that midfield and it could help move us up those first 15 yards. I think that could be really crucial going forward. So it's an interesting thing to, to take from the international break, which we could perhaps use for our own tactics, perhaps against Arsenal on Sunday. Yeah, and we, we can move on to the Arsenal game now quite nicely. And I think with that game, we know it's going to be a tough game, don't we? We know it's going to be a real, yeah. real tough opposition. It's going to be a hard-fought battle. Mikel Arteta's probably strengthened a lot since the last time he came to Goodison. You know, you look at the signings of Kai Havertz, Declan Rice, even Jurian Timber. I know he won't play against us because he is out for a, a lengthy period. That being said, I think it's going to be a very, very tough test. And you just look at Arsenal's squad on paper, it's... It's 10 times better than ours, isn't it? So do you see any way that we can get anything from this game? I'm going to believe. I think we've got to believe, haven't we? <laughs> you know, apart from the international break, I like to treat that as a fresh start. And I think, you know, there's always a chance. Look at our record against Arsenal. The last five games at Goodison Park, we've won four, drew one. They haven't beat us since the 5-2 under Ronald Koeman, which seems like an age ago now. So... We're a bit of a bogey team for Arsenal, so that's the thing that gives me that glimmer of hope. But like you say, Arsenal are a very strong team and have strengthened even more over summer. The fact that they've been able to spend £100 million on Declan Rice says it all, really. Other signings, 
Kai Havertz, I'm not as convinced by. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him, but I'm not going to say anything bad about him in case he has You've a story. Him now. <laughs> You've jinxed it now. <laughs> That's it. I don't want to start saying that a player's not quite at it because you just know what'll happen, don't you? Well, he, he tore us up. Well, I, I nearly said tore us apart at the bridge. He didn't tear us apart. He scored. He had a decent game against Played us well, at the bridge. He, yeah. yeah, he did play well, but he's one of those players that you want to play Everton when you're on a bad vein of form. So it'd be the most Everton thing to kick him into, into form and, and give him the, the platform that he needs in an Arsenal shirt. But no, I, I do agree with you. I don't think I'm as worried of Kai Havertz as I am as, you know, Bakayo Saka, even in Ketia off the bench, Gabriel Jesus, the, the list goes on, doesn't it? They've got so much quality in that team. And I think we'll have our work cut out if we want to even get a point from this game. Sorry to anyone that thinks I'm being too negative, but I'm just being a realist here and I don't think we'll get anything from this game, unfortunately. Well, they're a strong side, but they're also a strong squad. And the the phrase you mentioned, off the bench, is such an important one because look at Arsenal's last game against Manchester United. They brought substitutes mm. on. They turned it around in the last few minutes of the game. It's an unbelievable ending, really, with Declan Rice scoring and then Gabriel Jesus as well. So to see that, it's... It's quite worrying for us because we know that we've not got the biggest of squads and we can't always utilise those five subs like other clubs can. And those final few minutes could be quite nervy for us, I think. If we're nil-nil, perhaps, if we're 1-1, 1-0 up, maybe, I think that's where you'd start really worrying because when teams can bring on that kind of firepower, especially Gabriel Jesus, who loves to go against us, then that's where you'd be quite concerned, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be one of those where... Right to the final whistle, it's going to be a nervy one. As you said there, if it's one or one nil, nil nil, whatever the score, I think if we are in the game by the time we get to added time, it's it's going to be a nervy one. So I, I'll try and stay positive, but it's one of them where they, they were in a title race three months ago. I think it's one of those where we'll have our work cut out a lot here. Yeah, we need that first win, don't we? But I think it'd be quite unrealistic to expect it to come here i'd hope for it or to maybe come not because it is everton remember like we could Who just turn up and, <laughs> we could just turn up it, we like turning up against top six teams don't we especially at goodison yeah that would be very typical for our first win to come against arguably one of the best sides in the league <laughs> it would be very typical but i would not complain at all because that's i think that's what we need now we've had some good performances we've not got the results points wise it looks really really rough but I don't think that tells quite the whole story, but a win changes everything a lot of the time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I think if you get that first three points on the board, that then kickstarts your season and then you can then move on to bigger and better things. It's it's one of those things where it's it's probably a mental Massively. blockade for the squad. I think if if they can get past that mental blockade of getting that first three points under their belt, I think they'll they'll probably just go from strength to strength because the squad on paper doesn't look too bad. For me, it's just a mental thing of getting those first, getting that first win, getting those first three points and just getting that points tally ticking over. Yeah, I think if we... The defence needs shoring up a little bit. Well, quite quite a lot, really, considering some of the goals we've conceded. But I think we're creating chances now and I believe in that attack to get goals. So as long as we shore it up a little bit at the back, we'll start winning games because, you know, no one could look at our attack and say... That's not very good when you've got the likes of Dan Juma, McNeil, Beto, Harrison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. There's options there now, isn't there? You've got Yusuf Chimiti as well. There's now going to be a bench that you can look at and go, you know what, there's players to come on now. Whereas in the Sheffield United game, perhaps one of the biggest reasons why we didn't win was because we couldn't make massively impactful changes because of the injury crisis. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where 
you have to be able to bring on subs to change games. And especially in the Sheffield United game, as you said there, we looked like we tired towards the end. So to to not have that option to bring on off the bench, I think was where we, we fell short against Sheffield United. So to have more attacking options to come off the bench, especially against Arsenal, you look to the to the next sort of block of games after the Arsenal game, to have more options, especially in an attacking sense to come there, I think will will definitely increase our chances of getting points on the board. Definitely. Let's put our neck on the line then. Let's go and say, what's it going to be? Arsenal. You know, it's straight off the international break. Sometimes you can catch teams sleeping a little bit when they've just come back, especially a team like Arsenal, who are just full of internationals. What are you thinking? I'll be semi-positive here and I'll go with a 1-1 draw. I think if we do manage to get a 1-1 draw, I'll be I'll be very happy because, as I said before, Arsenal, top side in a title race last season, got some unbelievable players, have spent some serious money over the summer. So if we manage to claim a 1-1 draw, I think I'll, I'll be very happy. How about you? What are you thinking? I was thinking 1-1 as well, and maybe we should just go unanimous today because if I was thinking 1-1, I'm going to go with it as well. So maybe this is the time where we get it right. When we both say the exact same one, is that where it's going to finally come true for us? Actually, that's a very good point. We, we very rarely say the same result, do we? So maybe this is what we start need to start doing, just secretly confer before a podcast. So then if it does come in, we've just got to do it for the rest of the for the year. There you go. If we end, if if it ends up being 1-1 here today, then for the Brentford game, we both just have to say 3-0 Everton, don't we? <laughs> then it might happen, who knows? <laughs> yeah, but exactly. That is all for your weekly rundown. A massive few weeks ahead now. There's some really, really big games. And they're Luton at home, Bournemouth at home. They're the two that I think me and Ollie are really looking at, the ones that we absolutely need to win. We've got to pick up some points soon, and I think we will. It's a massively difficult game to start with. But you know what? Everton, late in the day, Sunday, pretty much the last game of the weekend. You never know what can happen with us, can you, Ollie? Oh, no, I know. Exactly. It's the most Everton thing to get a result on Sunday, isn't it? And just kickstart our season. Let's hope it can happen. It'd be absolutely brilliant if it does. Do keep across all of our socials, two halves LSR on Twitter. There's loads going on on there and look forward to our next one. Thank you very much for listening. See you later.